0: welcome to the Marshall Pruitt podcast your weekend in IndyCar listener Q and a <sighs> these weeks are supposed to slow down y'all it's going on <laughs> I'm not really complaining uh, just yeah keep waiting for things to uh, reduce in pace season ended on September 11th and here we are the 29th and I tell you uh boy this thing's charging along so eh, who knows maybe it will be a busier off season than anticipated want to say big thanks to you and for all the questions you send in every week according to our pal jerry sitteth who puts them together for us uh, i believe we are at or around 40 questions again this week, which is pretty darn crazy. And let's see, over 2,500 words worth of questions. So, yeah, we're now a couple weeks into the off season, Slowing down with the Q&A? No, not at all. So, anyways, let's have some fun here. Going to get rolling in just a moment after we also say thank you to Cooper Tires, the Justice Brothers, and torontomotorsports.com. Let's see, what can I tell you today? Woke up this morning to learn uh, a job that I was offered. It's just a little voiceover job. Nothing crazy or super time-intensive. Would have taken about an hour. Uh, Woke up this morning to learn I lost that job to Mario Andretti. (laughs) So, hey, if, if someone's going to be chosen in your place... I mean, the greatest of all time, right? Can't really be too upset at that. But yeah, indeed. All right, Mario. Taking a little bit of money out of my pocket. Whatever, pal. Uh, Anyways, I guess congrats to Mario as always being far more uh, employable than yours truly. So that was a little bit of fun. And uh, yeah, interesting thing to wake up to. Uh, Spoke with the main gentle person, the main gentleman behind... The uh, hopeful Detroit Grand Prix, Detroit something, whatever it might be called here that is in the works, said a little too sensitive right now to put anything in print. Did get a pretty good download uh, both yesterday and then today when we spoke on what is happening and what is going on. So bring more of that to you here hopefully in the coming weeks once things make progress as they hope and as i hope but yeah good call there great to hear about some of the plans uh the general proposition for where the event would be held it does sound really really interesting like truly interesting uh so i hope that that comes to fruition beyond that had some news this week obviously about both the indycar schedule some of those items are within your questions i believe Then had Benjamin Peterson, Worst Kept Secret, confirmed there. A couple more things that I'm working on, driver-related. So try and get those out here shortly. Got Petit Le Mans on Saturday. The entire thing is available on Peacock. I think the first three hours of the 10-hour race are on NBC, Big Network. Then I believe the last two or three hours close on on the USA Network, so I know this is an IndyCar show, but many of our friends from IndyCar are indeed rocking out and competing this weekend at Road Atlanta, so I hope you do check that out, because IMSA Racing is pretty darn cool. You know, uh, it was mostly positive feedback that we've gotten, only a couple of negatives, and so, you know, the the people have spoken, the prude have spoken, our listeners have spoken. <laughs> That's right, going to hold on to it and use it every now and then, just because it it amuses the heck out of me, and it might annoy some of you, but you know what, Uh, there you go, it is what it is, as our pal Juan Montoya loves to say. Final thing before we get rolling here with the show, Uh, had a busy day yesterday, which was really, really uh, awesome, got some important appointments done with my wife Spent the majority of the day North Bay, uh, West Bay, we don't call it the West Bay, we just call it the Peninsula, but uh, spent a decent amount of time in San Francisco, a uh, new healthcare facility that we went to, and she and I both were blown away, like, wow, this is a palace. It's just beautiful, uh, just everything brand new, highest, state-of-the-art of everything, so... Yeah, spent uh, many, many hours yesterday in waiting rooms, Uh, one of those, the longest session, actually spent speaking with a young journalism student uh, in Southern California who would like to move into the motor racing side of the world so spoke with him for about two and a half hours really did help pass the time uh for some form of term paper or something that he's working on so anyways really good news to report there we got uh the information back here today uh, on the vast majority of those tests and i ask that you just keep this here please don't post on social media and i know The life of my wife and I is by no means the least bit interesting to post on social media, but it does actually make her a little uncomfortable to read uh, folks reacting when I share some updates here and then have them shared on social media. Uh, But yeah, uh, really great, great results from everything. And then that side effect issue I've mentioned, that's kind of the root of what we've been trying to get jumped into, get sorted out, get some traction gained on and so based on all the information that uh, was gathered from yesterday's battery of tests uh, and a few more things that are we're waiting to come back in that will allow us to meet with the specialist and in a very short amount of time here get a plan of action in place and start again hopefully attacking and resolving uh, the issue and then we can kind of get back into our normal Routine. So, excellent day. Also, beautiful time. Uh, we ended up getting done late enough in the day where trying to drive home would have taken about 12 years. <laughs> so, we said, you know what? Uh, I used to live here. I mean, I'm born and raised in the Bay Area. I've never left in terms of having a home or, or always maintain, maintaining an apartment or something, even I was working in IndyCar and traveling and doing all that stuff. But, said, hey, We'd be smarter folks to not try and drive home right now, but to try and uh, burn a couple hours just here in the city and then drive home later in the day when things calm down. So we did that and got to go see just some beautiful sights out overlooking the Pacific, the inlet to the bay, some of these things uh, we might have done 15 or 20 years ago, but just haven't done recently. So it was a really, really cool time. So Uh, Then on the drive home, stopped in the hometown that I spent most of my youth growing up in, good old Belmont, and got to see a lot of cool things I hadn't seen in forever and show some of them to my wife for the first time. We stopped in the exact spot in the middle school that I went to where my father took me in like 1985 or something or 86 deciding to teach me how to drive our little stick shift ford fiesta and so it was kind of cool stopping right on the spot where i took my first ever uh lesson in how to drive a car it wasn't good it wasn't successful he actually punched me in the leg uh because i kept messing up and dropping the clutch too hard and stalling the car but anyways uh it's just fun to wander back through good old memory lane so yeah Good and positive stuff on the home front. Uh, Many of you are kind enough to continually ask how things are going with my wife. And I can tell you that, yeah, we continue to make some really good progress. And I hope we're not too far away from getting a uh, a course of action to resolve some of the side effects and get back to uh, where we were a couple months ago. Uh, Why don't we jump off here into your questions and comments and other interesting content, <laughs> pew, 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 pew. with our pal, the kind, kind, kind man, Uh man who loves the Lord as well. Jim Kaiser put together the questions for us for uh, a little over a year. He sends in haiku. Right, we're the only motor racing podcast, I believe, on the planet. I'm confident in saying this that regularly features Haiku. And if you know what Haiku is, Google it, H-A-I-K-U. And you'll appreciate the brilliance of Jim Kaiser. He says, through his Haiku, indie fans suffer through the too-long season. Let's start next year now! Uh, you know, I kind of agree, Jim, but I'm also still pretty burned out from the one that just finished, so uh, can I get... Kind of a, a a hall pass here and maybe show up a little bit after the season starts because I am actually not ready for it to get going again. Uh, Philip Schmitz, you kick us off here with a question. You say, what are the chances that 2023 will be the last race for IndyCar at Texas Motor Speedway? Great question. One for which I wish I had a bunch of deep, insightful answers would say Stay tuned. It is something on my list of things I need to get answered. Not so much the, could it be the last, but what is the approach being taken? That's really the one that I want to get a greater insight on. I don't know if that will be given to me, but I can at least ask and see if I get something out of either the track or the series. As I understand it, as Roger Penske told me a couple months ago, while discussing Texas, there was a definite belief on his part, which means on IndyCar's part, that they needed to be more than just guests, that they need to be centrally involved, uh, doing all they can in a new approach to help bring fans back, help make this something that is a success. Is that something they ultimately agreed to and the track is willing to let IndyCar play that role? I don't know. So that's why uh, a definitive answer or even a basic answer to your question is not one that I have right now, but there is kind of that that wider aspect to this, Philip, of did IndyCar sign a one-year deal and say, all right, we'll give it another shot and maybe it'll work out. Is the track going to do something different? Is IndyCar going to do something different? Did they sign a multi-year? That tends to be more of IndyCar's approach to things, Uh, especially under Penske land. Like, volatility is not a big thing they're a fan of. Uh, That's why if you talk to Roger about anything, drivers, sponsors, whatever, it's all multi-year deals. Uh, They want that stability and the ability to build on something if it goes well. Not necessarily signing crazy length contracts, though, that if there's something wrong or goes wrong, that they're saddled with it. So uh, look forward to getting back to you on this one because it's gonna, it's, it'll be very telling. One of the things I've mentioned on the show here, I feel like I might have mentioned it in print as well over the last couple of months, definitely related here, IndyCar Needs. Penske Entertainment needs to greatly amplify its track promotions, department services, whatever that might end up looking like. IndyCar has a gentleman by the name of Michael Montry, who's really the person centrally involved in uh, schedule, events, all those kinds of deals, working with the tracks and whatnot, and... I was talking with a fairly prominent driver here a couple days ago who was saying they got to do a lot better and a lot more because just leaving it up to the various tracks, the various promoters who are paying them to be wherever we're going and just hope they do an adequate job uh, at minimum, if not a great job. It's just the big fault line in our series. And you go, hey, if everything's great, okay, well, those are the select instances. What about the rest where you go, oh, the fault lines, just things are starting to crack and break up and snap off. I mean, so his point, which again, I've also mentioned and will continue to mention IndyCar needs to be less in the guest mindset and more of the proactive, hey, cool, you're paying us money to be here and that's our sanction fee and wonderful, but we have a robust marketing and promotions and sales infrastructure that comes with it. Uh, Everywhere we go, we're going to be centrally involved so that we know there is a high level of marketing, promotions, and Sales efforts going on instead of showing up and hoping and being subject to whichever promoters or tracks are either highly motive, motivated or vaguely motivated. There's that level of quality that is lacking across the board, especially again, talking more about the ones that are underperforming. Those are the places where IndyCar needs to insert itself to help bring that quality up. We saw what they were capable of doing at Iowa with a track rental, when the profits or losses were on their dime, and they went way overboard, got a lot of people engaged and went way overboard. That kind of, of high-level, somewhat aggressive approach, that's the blueprint they need to apply everywhere, part and parcel with everything that they do. So that's where we might get some answers about are they into this are they willing to do that that's where i hope some answers here about texas will uh, be somewhat revealing philip uh maddie mcdonald say since apparently the nascar folks are displeased with texas too um what do you suppose the chances are they stop using the the pj1 compound uh traction compound or the resin or the whatever uh Then you ask, what specifically changed in the corners that ruined their racing? Uh, I don't recall things being significantly different for IndyCar after the change. Also says some really nice stuff here. Um, I have no idea, Matty. I don't really follow NASCAR, nor do I dig into their specific traction compound issues and and whatnot. So I don't know. But I do know that, yeah, uh, racing at Texas, uh, it was better when we as a series decided to resolve some of the compound goo issues by putting more of our own rubber down at this last event. But yeah, in general, uh, Texas is, talk about a stained reputation when it was once a place that put on amazing events. So I had no clue about NASCAR there, what caused their issues. But hey, two series negatively affected by Dropping goo onto the track. Uh, Maybe that's the thing they should be thinking about. Uh, Our pal Zach Dean says, schedule release. Says, it looks like the same schedule as last year. Says, I'm always calling for more races because I'm a needy fan. But what are your thoughts? Uh, He says, hashtag me personally. I worry about the Iowa doubleheader being in August. Again, hot. I think that might have been the biggest groan. Uh, heard across the entire schedule release, Zach, and I know from the comments from fans like yourself and those within the series putting on, let me rephrase that, those within the paddock as well, some of the people who drive, some of the people who manage and own and you name it, uh, the, okay, we're basically doing the same exact Iowa we did last year. Um... Neither of these events are night races. Uh, it was baking hot, and we're going to do that same thing again. Uh, the worry is we will see a reduction in crowd size. Because I think most folks willing to say, okay, you're coming back, and it's a new thing, and it's got a lot of entertainment, and there's just energy about something new or returning. What about those who were there and said, hey, whatever musicians, whatever those acts, hey, we love that, but in general, my goodness, that was just way too hot. The time of the year is the enemy, and then the time of day is yet another enemy stacked on top of that. For all those who were kind of worn out, sweated out, uh, heated out, everything out, For those folks who then saw the schedule release and saw that, okay, we effectively listened to nothing any of you suggested, I do wonder, Zach, what is next year's Iowa turnout going to be like? Uh, Will folks just say, hey, it was so good and so fun, even in spite of the heat, we're ready to brave it again? Or will folks go, it ain't that kind of party. (laughs) Like, do this properly Uh, Have a race from whatever time, 7 until 9 on Saturday, and then kick off the concerts from 8 until 10 or, again, whatever time, and then do the same thing on Sunday. And, hey, we're going to have a a good old time and the place will be packed. Yeah. Uh, We're going to find out how folks respond to this. Again, crowd size, will, crowd size will be the answer. Uh, it'll be the big vote of confidence or no confidence. And if it is a vote of no confidence, what we're going to then probably have is the promoters say, you know what, we have to do night races. And I would expect that will be something that we see for 2024. And then the other test to close here will be how many folks turn up. Or did you just bake their brains uh, into uh, nothingness and folks even if you do move it to what they wanted to late into everything being great um will folks still say you know what sorry uh you, you had a chance and you burned it and we ain't coming back what do we go to andy bauer says so is the one month gap between race 1 and 2 setting up a space in the calendar for another track in 2024 this is while allowing St. Pete and Texas to build date equity uh in early March and April April respectively um potentially, right? I mean, who knows if that's where IndyCar would try and slot another race. It would make sense, obviously, because any kind of big old gap is not exactly the best idea. But keep in mind for what we had this year was almost identical in terms of length between uh, first and second rounds. I know it's not truly identical, but uh, we went racing at St. Pete on February 27th, I believe. And then the Texas race was March 20th. So, you know, three and a half-ish weeks. So really not too much different, at least as I can see it. Um, This coming season, with it being, you know, one full proper month, it's basically around the same gap. Uh, Not optimal, but not too much different. But I would say, yeah, for sure. Uh, we're talking about building in another race next year, maybe two. Um, you know, I'm aware of one that uh, if it were to go forward would probably be more towards summer. But it does also present a great opportunity for IndyCar to fill in that gap somewhere. Just hopefully not on top of the 12 hours of Sebring like they did uh, this year. Um, oh, and you also saying, when do we expect IndyCar to announce the $500,000 prize money for the Indy Lights chant to be paid in free Carb Day tickets? You know, uh, as shady as that's become, I'm surprised it hasn't been announced as $500,000 worth of free Freedom 100 entries. So, sorry, that was mean. Um, Sean Lee. So Justin Marks recently said uh, that he might be interested in starting an IndyCar team. He said uh, he rolled right into Ganassi's NASCAR garage and wrote a big old check to take over Chip's outfit, lock, stock, and barrel. You say, what team in Indy do you think would welcome an offer? Eh, I don't know if I see any that would really want to sell, right? Considering that on the NASCAR side, he's aligned with Chevy. I, I think he would have to head down that direction for anything he might do in IndyCar. But, I mean, if you look at the Chevy-powered teams, A.J. Foyt will never sell that team, right? Uh, Aaron McLaren SP, not up for sale. Um, Ed Carpenter Racing, for sure. Ed's not looking to sell. Ricardo Huncos and Brad Hollinger ain't looking to sell. And then the last one is Team Penske. So I don't see anything here. Uh, I, I really, really do not, Sean, in terms of writing a check and taking a team off of somebody. Um, if he's going to do it, I could see him doing some form of technical alliance if someone were interested. But moreover, I think what he would have to do is buy a car get an engine lease and just like they've done in NASCAR uh, build that out and make it their own uh, not you know running in an ongoing relationship with ganassi but truly you know that's theirs they possess it they've taken it to new heights I think in this case it would have to be a, a true and proper startup. And, again, if they could find an alliance, that'd be really smart. But Chevy's also pretty smart and uh, has some really good base information to share for uh, teams as well if needed. Let's see. Adaptive Mom. Say, MP, hope you and your family are well. We are. I've got Rosie. Hi, baby i got a rosy girl sleeping over my shoulder here, uh, and I'm actually not sure where Rocky went, but he was just here a little while ago, giving me the business. Um, Let's see. You say, with Jimmy Johnson's plan still up in the air, do we think Ganassi will attempt to run the 48 full-time? Will it just be run when Jimmy wants to run? I have had two different folks tell me that the plan is to continue running that entry full-time. Will it be the number 48? I don't know. Um, obviously that number is very special to Jimmy, uh, regardless, do I think Jimmy will be back for an oval race or two or who knows, maybe even all the ovals, even though there's only five, um, or is it four, four? Anyways, my brain's farting, but even though it's not many races and they are spread across the, uh, the calendar in a fairly friendly way. I would not expect to see Jimmy in a IndyCar more than those five races and even that I'm not totally sold on him doing all of them. Purely up to him. Um but I do know the team has a uh, full plans so far to keep going with that entry. If that were to change, obviously I'll I'll tell you about it. But uh, yeah. Not so much hanging and waiting on Jimmy. I'd say this maybe the, the the bigger Uh, understanding to have here they're not waiting to get the phone call to get the invite to the dance by jimmy they have full intention to keep running that car and i think they are at the moment just penciling jimmy in for the ovals and if he comes back and says i don't want to do all them or i hey i don't want to do any of them i think that they will uh solve that soon after Uh, J.J. Gertler, you've got a question here that, uh, boy, we could spend a while on, but we won't because I don't have all that much time. I actually need to kick off the Racing Family Show here in about 15 minutes. So uh, let's see. Your question is, what happened to Renus' season? It says he was much less of a contender uh, than his talent would indicate in his third year. Uh, It's his third year, uh, so it couldn't have been a sophomore slump. Uh, was he just a victim of the circumstances at ECR or issues more individual? Need to dive into that a little bit. Uh, need to look at some of the, the metrics on a season to give you a more edumacated answer, JJ. But I can tell you the team really struck me as surprisingly inconsistent this year. Inconsistency has been, unfortunately, one of the consistent aspects of ECR for a little while now. Um, from race to race, you don't exactly know what you're going to get. And Connor Daly's season was very much, uh, an indicator of that, uh, to confirm what we were seeing with Renus, which granted, I mean, Renus still finished 12th in the standings, which is better than I would have thought. It did surprise me with, you know, a couple races to go like, Hey, he's actually in a pretty good position in the championship. Although his last what, three or four races were not great. So that certainly hurt his chances there a bit. But (sighs) there are some really awesome people at Ed Carpenter Racing. And I mean that. This isn't one of those false praise things I'm saying up front before then saying the negative. I'm saying this in all honesty. There are some truly excellent people at Ed Carpenter Racing. The vast majority on the mechanical side, the engineering side, you name it. Of the things that I wonder, are they falling behind a little bit financially? Know that we have full season sponsorship on both entries for Renus and Connor. Even so, in the, the game of sponsorship, things are on the up and up and up in terms of costs. They really are. Um, annual budgets folks are asking for now tacking on another one, one and a half to two million per year over just a year or two ago. Um, the amount of money being spent on off track engineering projects by using high dollar, crazy skill, PhD minded engineers is not To be taken lightly from Penske to Ganassi to Andretti, McLaren is a a prime example of this. Um, I do wonder if we are seeing the effects of ECR being outspent and outarmed in terms of personnel on the engineering side. Because that's ultimately what it comes down to, right? Chief mechanics on both cars and and the crew assembling the cars. Of course, every team on every car, every season makes mistakes, right? So that's universal. Most, though, don't make a ton of mistakes. So why was Connor not super fast here or there? Again, it's probably not because a bolt fell out or whatever else. Um But you have to look at things and say, you know what? If both drivers, whom I think most of us would say are pretty darn good, right? I don't know if Arenas is championship material, right? We're waiting to see evidence of that for him to show that to us. Um, Same with Connor. But when the hot young, one of the hot young talents in the series, uh, did get a pole, so that was cool, but zero wins. I think he had one podium. Uh, That says a lot. Also, Connor, who I think finished 17th in the standings, I mean, he had a ton of misfortune this year. He had a lot of cartoon anvils raining on him. But it wasn't uncommon to see Connor running well somewhere and have Renus either right behind him or right in front of him Um, these two, again, this was the one, the first time we've seen like, Hey, you know, these guys are somewhat equally matched when everything's going well for both entries. And on occasion, uh, we see that Connor is running ahead of Renus, and that wasn't really something we uh, some of us expected and no disrespect to Connors just hadn't really seen that much so this year well that was a great thing that we did witness a bit of JJ so again on a clear day with no strategy issues no just no major handling issues Renus and Connor pretty darn close and would run somewhat close together sadly though we're not talking about Connor was running fourth and Renus was running fifth, or Renus was sixth and Connor was running seventh. It was, hey, you finished 12th, whichever one of you, and hey, the other one finished 13th. It's way too much of that. Um, Trying to think like Road America jumps out where you go, like, I think Connor was like 13th or 14th at Road America. Uh, And you go, great, okay, well, uh, where's your teammate? All right, he's he's 17th, 16th, 17th, if I recall. All right, again, these guys are pretty close to each other, but (sighs) way too much of that. And so when you have those situations where you have two quality drivers and yet more often than not, their best days or something where they're running in the mid-teens, low-teens, high-teens, if that's kind of sort of where they're stuck almost everywhere you go, I just have to wonder if this team is losing the uh, financial engineering arms race, and that's why they were unfortunately never truly in the thick of uh, going for wins this year. So... Maybe a little bit more of a general team response, J.J., than specifically on Renus. but I do also come back to, you know, he finished not too many points, but right behind uh, Graham Rahal in the standings, two spots behind Colton Hurta, uh what finished in front of Groschon. Um, so pretty decent company, just all of them disappointed with being in that position as well. Uh, Why don't we go to James Lau? You say, hey, been meaning to ask for a couple years now. Why do the Indy Lights cars exhausts pop so much during engine braking? Uh, You're most likely hearing anti-lag. That would be the uh, electronic tuning that feeds some fuel into the exhaust manifold while the drivers are off throttle to have that fuel combust, and keep the turbo spinning so there's not a huge amount of turbo lag when they get back onto the throttle so i'm guessing um that's what you were hearing um and that would be the answer let me take a little sip here uh neil neil doiker doiker duker i still needed to tell me how to pronounce your name correctly brother um he said, hey, you asked us a few weeks back, so I'm trying again. He said, what is the deal with Hunkos Hollinger Racing's lack of sponsorship? He says, for the most of the races, uh, they raced with JHR on the side pod. You uh, said, even Peretta Autosport had corporate sponsorship. Glad they're able to expand, but was this a strategic decision? or symptom of getting overlooked as a small team? You also say some nice things, wishing my wife and I well, as so many of you often do. So thank you for that, Neil. Well, the answer is this. Beth, our pal Beth Peretta, she is not a billionaire, uh, but she does have very good agency that she works with that has uh, been pretty darn solid in aligning her with other clients whose businesses are worthy of being promoted, and find a good little demographic in Indycar. So it's been a good, uh, good link between Beth and the agency that she is with. Also mention I've heard that Linus Lundqvist has signed with that agency as well in an effort to find sponsorship and align him with folks to help make his IndyCar career possible. So that was very encouraging when I learned about that, uh, I think, shortly after we recorded the last episode. So just knowing how effective the agency has been so far in pairing Beth, with sponsors. I sure hope that they are able to do the same for our young Swedish indie Lights champ. So that's the Beth side of the answer, Neil. The difference here is Hunkos Racing has gone from that to Hunkos Hollinger Racing in deference to his new co-owner slash investor, Brad Hollinger, founder and CEO of Vibra healthcare Um, I believe Fiber Healthcare owns something like 60 to 70 hospitals and Brad was known, this is before he sold it um, owning something like 10% of the Williams Formula 1 team, maybe a little bit more Um, the reason that hunkos racing was able to return to indycar under its new name with a new partner uh, co-owner and investor is all thanks to brad and so their goal is obviously to develop um a full business marketing sales and you name it department uh, that is capable of bringing sponsorship to the team but at least for now uh, getting the team back up and running uh, buying all of carlin racing's asset taking on a bunch of their employees uh, and now the expansion to two cars um neil i would say we got to look at the success of brad hollinger as really being the reason why we've been able to get the team back and I don't pretend to know how much money Brad has. I would have to assume that as the owner of a decently sized healthcare system, anytime the thing that somebody owns has the word system on the end, uh, you, you got to believe it's fairly real and, and big and impressive. Um, I would say that just as Brad was able to invest a decent wedge of money into Williams because he loves racing and wants to be involved, got to believe that Brad has indeed done the same thing in getting the uh, number 77 Chevy on track and also in the expansion to run the number 78 Chevy next year with a driver to be named later. I know the team wants that second driver to bring funding, and for it to be fully paid for, it's a little bit of a—I uh, guess you could call it a party—in <laughs> uh, the sense that they were also willing to sign Felix Rosenquist up for a multi-year deal, and you know, going rate right for a quality Indy car driver is at least two million a year, um, so. They were willing to sign Felix up for multi years, multi millions. Obviously, Felix is not bringing any money to the program, so they were willing to fund it themselves based on the quality of driver uh, who is available. Obviously, Felix no longer available, his option taken up by McLaren Racing, but that really gave me a a strong understanding, Neil, that uh, yes. They would love to have sponsors on the 77, love to have a quality driver who's paying full boat for uh, the 78 car, but are they going to hold fast to that if a super high-quality driver is available and wants to come be part of the uh, the good old party? No. So it's not like Brad just loves waking up and burning millions of dollars for fun, but as uh, someone who has done well in business for many years and continues to do well. I'd say he fits into that pretty amazing category of someone whose business success is something he's willing to let uh, spill over to his passion and make some pretty serious investments. Last little note here. uh, Yes, he may have once been a... I think, again, it was once. Once, I believe it's all sold. But uh, he may have once been a, a... minority owner of Williams, but that certainly would not have been inexpensive. Um, Playing an IndyCar, by comparison, you would have to think is certainly less expensive than uh, what it costs to be involved with that Formula One investment. So I don't think this is hurting his savings account, but at the same time, of course, everybody would like to find someone else to pay for their racing and so it's a big area uh, that they need to develop uh, i know that one of the members of the team recently asked me if i knew of any quality sponsor hunter lead developer types uh, to give them a bit of a uh, a bit of a bump in that area so i unfortunately don't have didn't have any names to offer but i know they're looking and wanting to get to that place, Neil. Uh, (laughs) Final thing here is, I think they'd also probably have to change the livery a bit. Uh, I know that Ricardo loves the green and the white and the black, and we have to assume that uh, Brad does as well. But with the way that those uh, colors and the stripes, kind of at whatever it is, a 45-degree vertical stripe, land across the side pods there, actually doesn't provide much space to fit a sponsor into. So if they do end up going out and getting a uh, real sponsor for the 77 or the 78 cars filled by somebody bringing a full budget, I do think we're going to have to see some evolution of their livery because, yeah, it's just pretty tiny space that's made available to put stickers, uh, to put the logos of whichever primary sponsor. So, yeah, I think that's one other place we're going to have to uh, get figured out here very, very soon. Alright, I need to kick off this little Racing Family show, so I'm going to do something kind of crazy and stop the show and I'll be back in just a little bit. (laughs) Pew, 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 pew! And we're back. Just had a good little hour and nine minute racing family gathering. Also spoke with our friend Ricardo Junco's IndyCar entrant. And what else? I don't know. Uh, Trying to fix a hinge on a door and doing some other stuff. So there you go. But we're back. Probably 15 or 20 minutes more uh, to go here. So why don't we pick up with Ed Joris. It says, how much of the current engine shortage is due to Honda and Chevy being forced to subsidize the price of the engines and technology to the teams? He said, uh, if Honda and Chevy were not losing hundreds of thousands of dollars for each added car through what they have to pay out of pocket for, would they be more likely to expand the number of cars they support? Yeah. So here's the situation. And I'll explain this in more detail next week in a little feature story. Uh, the new motors coming in 2024, far more expensive to develop. Uh, manufacturing costs have gone up significantly due to the worldwide supply chain issues. Um, Everything to make these new motors is more, more, more on the financial side. It's not as if the automotive industry is hurting as much as it was a few years ago when COVID was at its worst. Many have rebounded somewhat, mostly, or almost all the way. Chevy and Honda, GM and Honda, uh, they're doing okay, but I would not say that they are just sitting on Outrageous amounts of money to set aside for racing activities and IndyCar activities specifically. So, the big difference we have here is no major change in annual operating, manufacturing, trackside support, whatever type budgets for Chevy or for Honda. No major changes there at all. If anything, maybe stayed the same. If not, those budgets might have come down slightly. And then there's this need to make new motors that cost them a lot more. What does that mean? You're able to make fewer engines. Uh, Not just the engine pool size, meaning all the engines they have that get rotated around to go to all the various teams, but the amount of full-season engine leases is also something that is being brought down Not because Chevy is bad and Honda is bad and evil. Uh, They're not responsible for propping up the IndyCar series. It's not what they're here for. They're not here to make up for IndyCar shortcomings. IndyCar was supposed to have three manufacturers for this new formula. So the lease burden was split three ways. That's been a total failure on IndyCar's part. Uh, Now the two manufacturers have been really cool to say, well, okay, We were never supposed to have to split this again like we're doing right now and do a 50-50. But we'll do our best to help, but it's not going to be as many leases as you might want. And so that's what I'll share with you more in depth next week. But yes, uh, each engine lease is something that both manufacturers lose just frightening amounts of money on. So... They are able to charge teams about $1.2 million per lease right now. I don't know what the lease price is going to be when we get to 2024, but they're able to offset some of their losses, but by no means all of their losses. Call that investments, right? Part of the, the marketing budget, if you really want to put it in those terms. They lose money on every lease to the tune of many, 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 Hundreds of thousands of dollars. Every single lease. They're willing to contribute that in support of IndyCar and swallow those losses. But there's a finite amount of money that both brands are given. And knowing that they have to swallow a lot of those losses as well. Because trust me, if teams had to pay so the manufacturers could break even on each lease... IndyCar's economics would be broken. Teams, by and large, half the teams at least, might not survive because they just simply would not be able to come up with enough money to operate. So Chevy and Honda get pooped on a lot for not putting enough engines out, and I I, I understand that, but keep in mind, they're not here to be IndyCar's best friend, to just spend millions of their own dollars so IndyCar can have a racing series they're here to compete and sell cars this is yet another area where under indycar's new ownership which is tightening its belts like i've never seen um yet again investment is needed to get a third manufacturer involved uh not happening. So yeah. Uh there this is a multifaceted topic, Ed. We could talk about it for days and days on end. But yeah, there there's there's something here pretty serious we need to think about, but like I said, hopefully I can explain all that to y'all in a feature piece next week on Eraser. Uh let's see. I feel like we need to get to Kurt Poe's question. I'm looking for it here. It's not above the red line of death. I don't even know if it got resubmitted. But, Kurt, you've been asking for a while. What is the oldest... Here you go. Sorry. Uh, towards the bottom of, of the, the cutoff list yet again. Um, resubmission. Are any of the DW12 chassis from 2012 still in service? Uh, has one of them avoided the cartoon anvil for so long to still actually be turning laps in anger? Uh, there There are. Uh, was able to ask a friend at the series who would know, and he said, yes, the oldest chassis they have on record that is continuing to compete in a race throughout the 2022 season was chassis number 8008, zero, zero, eight. or is it 08? I don't know, but I assume it's zero, zero, 008. Um, I think, I think it is an Andretti chassis. I don't know which driver would be using it, and don't hold me to that 100%. But yes, chassis number eight is the oldest that's still running, and was also told that, yes, actually there are quite a few from that original production batch done by Delara that are still in motion today. So, sorry it took me so long, Kurt, but I'm glad I could uh, get that uh, finally answered for you. Uh, Robert Polachek, you say... Uh, Stingray Rob, where might he go? Yeah, um, there's a number of options there. Granted, I'll just rattle off the teams that have potential places for him to land. Uh, just because we're getting to the end of the episode. I won't dive into each one and tell you the odds and whatnot. But I think what might fit Stingray's budget, which I've heard is about $4 million, I think what might fit best for him is a road and street course opportunity with a team and maybe, hopefully, an Indy 500 seat as part of that package. Uh, We might have one option at Dale Coyne. Um, We might have a place at Chip Ganassi Racing for him to consider. Could there be a Foyt-type scenario? Could there be a little something at Ed Carpenter Racing, possibly? Um, Yeah a uh, couple places he might be able to land. Um, and if there's something else I'm not thinking of, then my apologies, but a couple of options for sure. Uh, you also asked, how would Milwaukee returning affect the future of IndyCar at Road America? Uh, in no way would it ever affect IndyCar at Road America because, oh boy, folks love Road America. Yeah, um, also keep in mind that If you are an older fan of IndyCar, you will remember that it was absolutely the annual norm where IndyCar raced at the Milwaukee Mile and raced at Road America. So uh, there would be nothing the least bit new if we were to have both events that aren't too crazily far away from each other uh, to start happening again. So yeah, I wouldn't expect anything to uh, um, be an issue there. Uh, where else should we go? Uh, Ryan Terpstra, you're asking about who made the leader circle and who was on the outside. I put that in today's racer mailbag. Today? No, yesterday. I don't even know what day it is. Um, Vincent, you complain that you send in a lot of questions and most of them don't get answered. Um, also glad to see that you and the family survived Hurricane Ian. Um Any changes to the pit lane in Toronto for the upcoming season? I don't know because uh, it's nine plus months away. So I know that it's something they've been talking about, but um, these things tend not to happen at the end of September. Uh, They tend to happen a little bit closer to the event when it starts getting built in June. Uh, So ask me a long time from now, and hopefully I can uh, provide some information. SRT Nick 12 say MP are you satisfied with IndyCar's current direction do you think we need a new chassis and a hybrid package Um, yeah and this is another one we could talk for days Nick Uh, I'm growing more dissatisfied with IndyCar's direction uh, seemingly as the days go by many of them just based on wallets being tightened and hidden and we're at a place where for IndyCar to really get over and be pushed over the top we need investment, and boy, uh, it seems like fear of spending is what is ruling the organization right now. So, yeah, uh, not so happy there. As for hybridization, yeah, I do. I, I do think this hybrid package is something that's needed. Uh, we have been unrelevant Non-relevant, anti-relevant, whatever the best way to phrase that might be. We have held no relevance for the automotive industry for a really long time. Uh, Hybridization, electrification, that is an area that is currently relevant. It's been relevant for a while. We're very late in adopting here. Also keep in mind that we have at least one of the two manufacturers who've been very forthright in telling IndyCar, if you want us to remain in your series, you will add electrification to give us the justification to continue when we go to our board and say, hi, we'd like to keep playing here. And they say, great, but it does nothing for us. The cars are zoomy and cool, and that's fun. Got all that, but Give us something that we can say applies to our road cars in some kind of way. And with electrification becoming much more of a thing over the last 15 years, but hardcore over the last three, four, five, uh, this was the concession needed uh, for IndyCar to make to give its manufacturers something that fits with their automotive sales, production floor sales, um, that they haven't had. So, uh, am I like so giddy with excitement that we're going hybrid? No, not because I've seen this, the FI world endurance championship, uh, hybrid for a really long time. I've seen the most insane hybrid race cars ever made, at least to date, that being the LMP one hybrids made, by Toyota, made by uh, Audi, made by Porsche, Nissan tried to play a little bit, but uh, talking about, in some cases, internal combustion engines that made about 500 horsepower, and the actual electric horsepower, 700 plus on deployment, right? (laughs) Like... All of the horsepower the current 2.2-liter twin-turbo V6 IndyCar engines make is what the most fearsome Le Mans prototypes made for horsepower with the electric ponies alone. So I've seen that and seen the explosion of those cars off the corners. Instant torque, instant accelerate, just like... Star Trek warp speed, like insane. That's not what we're getting. We're getting stuff that's going to be good, going to be cool, going to bring the number up to a uh, a pretty high horsepower number. Hopefully over eight hundred, eight fifty, nine. Who knows when both the internal combustion engine and the hybrids, the full hybrid deployment of power happens. But yeah, happy and pleased to see we're going in this direction. We need to do it, even though we're late to the uh, to the topic. But yeah, it's not going to be crazy mind-bending for sure when uh, when we do get these cars. Um, Greg Liversed, you're asking that when we do go full hybrid, will drivers be able to start the cars on, the, on their own and uh, pull away from yellows they might cause? Yes, that was one of the main, main selling points in going hybrid, that, hey, we can have fewer cautions because the drivers won't need the safety team to go and help fire the car up and send them off. Um, Frederick Wakeman, you ask if, uh, Jimmy Johnson's departure opens the door for Linus Lundqvist. I'd hope so, but that's just such not a Ganassi thing to do. The thing I've been crossing fingers and toes on, Frederick, is that Ganassi decides to do something that is totally out of character, uh, and that is to hire a rookie. Uh, yeah, uh, what I'm trying to think... The last time they had a rookie was Charlie Kimball, I think. Yeah. And that wasn't so much of a going out and hiring a rookie. This was Charlie and his sponsor paying full boat to be a part of the team. Knowing that Linus does not have that money, at least right now, to do that. This would be slotting Linus into a a featured entry uh, that right now, to my knowledge, has zero budget attached to it. Um if he had a full budget, or they found a full budget, would I think they might experiment? I'd hope so, because I think this kid could be uh, this kid could be a good one. But again, it'd be a little bit out of character for them to go that route, but fingers crossed. Um, Dan Mayhew, you're asking about super-licensed stuff and a bunch of stuff here, and thank you for sending that in feels like that's been covered a lot whether it's by myself with my mouth here on the show or others in print so um i'll just take a quick pass on that um kevin frederico you're asking about um what it would take to get us a new indy car yeah uh it's going to be years till we get there um and it's going to take enough folks in the paddock Complaining that a new car is needed right now, not enough are by any means. Um, let's see, Andrew Miller said Roger Penske did a big interview with several nuggets. Uh, he said the big one that stood out to you was no plan for a new chassis. Um, he said drivers have gone silent about their complaints in the formula. Um, you're wondering if there's been some sort of clamp down or, or, pipe down thing from the series for folks not to complain. Uh, yeah, that's pretty common, but you know, uh, other than the people who are directly employed by Roger, that's not something that really you can apply to anyone else. Um, I'll also mention, I don't know exactly where Roger did the quote big interview, uh, but I'm aware that he did one recently and mentioned that, uh, about the no plans for a new chassis. Um, just for the sake of sharing Uh, Roger told me that in an interview that I posted maybe two months ago Uh, so yeah, uh, not a bad thing that you might have read that somewhere else but would certainly encourage keeping up with racer.com on a daily basis because I crank out a lot of content and uh, more often than not you're probably going to read about stuff uh, first there Uh, let's see where else do I go here Ian Keyworth, so, thoughts on Colton Herter's super license snub? Uh, again, I feel like I've probably covered that off a lot, both in the racer mailbag and here. Um, totally understand it. If you stick to the point structure they've laid out, uh, from a common sense standpoint, makes no damn sense whatsoever. So, yeah, what I hope to read about in the very near future here, before the end of the year is Formula One deciding, you know, we made some pretty big mistakes in the points that we award to certain series, uh, yada, yada, yada. We're going to fix that going forward. Uh, I'd love to hear that they're going to retroactively fix some things, because if you've realized you've made a mistake and it has been unfair to certain groups, certain drivers in certain series... Uh, if, you've dis- if you come to an agreement that something needs fixing because it has a lot of oversights, well, why not go the extra mile and say, you know what, we can find select examples, Colton being one of them, but I'm sure he's by no means the only one. And say, you know what, we've identified three drivers, five drivers, ten drivers who deserve super license uh, licenses, and we are going to award them the final little note here, which is obvious. You can give me a super license. Doesn't mean I'm going to be racing in Formula One. The act of granting a super license does not equate becoming a Formula One driver. Just means you could if everything worked out for you. Whether a team has money to hire you or you have enough money to bring to a team to get hired. So again, getting a super license guarantees nothing. But if you don't have one, you are certainly guaranteed to never drive in Formula One. Um, Brian Cohn, you say, whatever happened to that Vince Neil podcast? Uh, it's on the list, brother. I'm sorry. It's been on the list for a couple of years. Uh, it has two or three voices for it as well. His driver coach and teammate, Tommy Byrne and his team owner, um, Mr. P.I.G. himself, personal investment group, Norm Turley. So. I'm sorry, brother. I got to get on that. Actually, recently I've been thinking I need to start a new podcast series. And no, it doesn't involve doing extra work. Uh, it involves just doing the work I should have been doing. Um, some sort of uh, forgotten podcasts. Not lost. I've never lost them. But uh, let's see. I have reflections. I'm looking at my. Uh, folder on my laptop here uh 1987 Le Mans win reflections with Derek Bell uh and Han Stuck like yes (laughs) uh recorded that with the two of them independently um let me see when uh with my man Mr. Stuck June 11th 2017, and with Derek, uh, June 7th, 2017. I I meant to get that done and posted, Brian, leading into the 2017. 24 Hours of Le Mans would have been the whatever year, 30 years later, anniversary, blah, blah, blah. Um, Didn't. And so it's just been sitting for five years now on my hard drive, going nowhere. Uh, I need to produce that and post it. And uh, the Vince Neal one falls in line with that. During the, during the shutdown, right? During the COVID shutdown, global shutdown, more or less, in, when did I record this? Uh, April 18th, 2020? No. Anyways. Uh, interviewed Joe Sayward, right? Like crazy veteran Formula One reporter. Uh, who I know like a tiny amount. Uh, Interviewed him. Life and career. Really interesting to me. Great time spent with him talking about stuff. Spun some great yarns. I absolutely have done nothing with that and need to fix that. So, yeah. I did a couple of those. Uh, Let's see. David Tremaine, another veteran F1 reporter. Uh, More of a TV pit lane reporter. Andrew Marriott did one with him. Uh, Richard Noble, right? Uh, land rec, land speed record, uh, crazy person. Uh, I spoke with him after his book came out. Uh, when was this? Recorded this March 24th, 2021. All things, and I'm looking, I've got a, what, about 115 folders of content, of podcasts. Uh. Just sitting my hard drive. Uh, Alan Mertens, right? Long time F1, well, brief period Formula One chassis designer, but long time IndyCar chassis designer, designer of the 1992 winning, Indy 500 winning Galmer G92, uh, did a podcast with him on March, in the March... uh, Manufacturer, chassis manufacturer, did uh, a podcast with him um, talking about March and F1, and also March, which he worked for in uh, CART and designed uh, some of their CART cars before moving on to uh, working with Craco and designing, uh, ended up designing the Galmer G92 and whatnot. Um, did a whole podcast on November 4th, 2018, Alan Merton's 1980s March F1 and Cart Safety Evolution. Fascinating stuff. And because I'm an idiot, I just had never gotten to it. So I have this thing of like forgotten podcasts that I need to get to over this off season and keep going. Because like legitimately, I've got in-car audio from Silverstone. In 2019, of David Brabham driving the Brabham BT-62 uh, hypercar, GT car, whatever you should call it. Um, I'm just scrolling here. Podcasts on the Jaguar XJR5 IMSA-GTP development. Um, Two podcasts with my friend Harley Cluxton, who's one of the craziest people in the world. Uh, Jeff Brown and I back in oh my gosh when was this let me try and find i could do this all day so i'll try and keep this uh make this the last one thursday august 2nd 2018 he and i sat in the one little anteroom in the road america media center and recorded a long hour and 12 minute podcast it was something he recommended um If you happen to have listened to, uh, the first season of Dinner with Racers, there was a special edition of that talking about all the crazy money and development, uh, and whatever that went into Scott Tucker, level five, his D sports racer trying to win the SCC national runoffs, right? Um. And so Jeff said, you know, that was amazing. It might have been the or one of the most popular episodes from uh, Dinner with Racers first season. Jeff just mentioned, he and I, old, old friends, worked together 30-plus years ago, mentioned, you know, the one thing that we didn't like fully get into was kind of the engineering side of it and all the crazy engineering and, and whatnot stuff. And that would be fun to talk about. And I said, oh, my God, yes. And so we did. And so he then also sent me photos, videos, like just an insane amount of content to support that. It's just sitting here. Um, I know I said that was the last one I was going to mention, but I just saw another one. Uh, Sat down in, oh my goodness, what year? Was it 2019, I think, the return to uh, Laguna Seca? Yeah, sat down in the media center there. Talking about the Marlboro Challenge, which used to be kind of an all-star type series that the IndyCar series put on, and also Racing and Super V, and did that speaking with Rick Mears, Michael Andretti, and Bobby Rahal. It's amazing. Ari Leondike was supposed to be the fourth person, but it's just that kind of stuff. Um, Then I've got the Lotus 2012 IndyCar debacle stuff that I captured, I think, last year at Laguna with, uh, Sebastian Bourdais and Oriol Servia. There's just like no joke. So I just need to start spending the time to poop the stuff out. Uh, because yeah, there's a ton of it and it's just been sitting on my hard drive forever. So there you go. Uh, what else am I going to get to before we say farewell? Uh, our pal Matsuki Matsura asks, what beer would I have with David Malukas, who just turned 21 uh, a couple of days ago? Um, provided they still make it, I would get uh, him a bottle of semi Uh I forget where it's made. Is it Austria? Is it Germany? Um, yeah. It's this, like, highest alcohol content in the world beer, where... Yeah, it used to cost like crazy amounts of money. And this is back when I used to drink it in the late 80s, early 90s, like 6 to $10 a bottle. And it's just like a 12-ounce beer. And you go, well, that's a crazy amount of money. Why would you pay that? Because you only need to order one. <laughs> if you can finish one, uh, if you get to the end of one bottle of Sammy Schlau's, they will be... Sweeping you up off the floor You will be a puddle of a person By the time you are done with that Um, So that's what I'd probably do Because David doesn't look like He has much resistance to alcohol And that's what I would uh, That's what I'd do to him Because I'm kind of mean Uh Uh, Jose Hernandez asking if I have any updates on Alex Zanardi. I don't. Just haven't honestly really thought uh, about uh, checking in to try and find out how he's doing. So I know one or two people I can ring and ask, and uh, I might uh, next time I have a reason to ring them. Uh, Keith Lee, are asking, do I think the reduced Indy Lights Championship Advancement Prize could uh, diminish entries in the future? 100%. There's a lot of entries already coming for 2023, so that I don't expect to change. But unless they fix this, yeah, I think we're going to see the numbers start to fall off again in 2024, all because they've uh, pulled a fast one on folks that just makes no darn sense. Um, Our pal Tim Falkowitz asking, surprising lack of cautions over the last two races were we all thought, myself as well, they were going to be wreck fests, especially at the start. Ask, do you think any car might be more liberal with the caution flags next year? Uh, I hope not. Uh, granted, I don't like a bunch of snoozers. I don't think anybody does, but I don't know. I, I, I floated the idea of a competition caution if needed, if a race is getting a little bit out of control. That's more of a NASCAR thing. I could see one of those per race, drumming up just like hey all right this is set to be pretty darn boring unless we intervene i could see that happening i just wouldn't want it to be like two three four just becoming comical so um why don't we close on this bill Gulker and bill i think this if this is your first time submitting thank you always love it when folks reach out for the first time Uh, Marshall, why do we have so many Formula Feeder Series in North America? Formula 4, Formula Regional Americas, Formula Junior, USF 2000, Indy Pro 2000, Indy Lights. Don't they just compete with each other and hurt open-wheel racing in North America in general? Wouldn't it be more interesting to have one, uh, a single and more competitive open-wheel ladder series? Um, I'll push back on the more competitive because there is absolutely zero lack of competitiveness uh, on the road to Indy for sure. Um, Here's the thing. We live in a democratic society. (laughs) We live uh, not in a socialist world, but one where folks are allowed to start businesses and do as they darn well please, and capitalism certainly is the root of our uh, financial structure in the country. So Obviously overstating the obvious here for a little bit of hopefully some sort of comedic effect. Uh, So we have the long-established ladder to Indy, Road to Indy, presented by Cooper Tires. It was once three tiers. USF 2000, what we now call Indy Pro 2000, and Indy Lights. This is owned and run primarily by Anderson Promotions. I think as I mentioned earlier, Indy Lights owned by IndyCar uh, was handed to Anderson Promotions in 2014 to take over the running because IndyCar just kept um, fumbling the ball there on improving it and modernizing it and so on. The Andersons were able to do that. Um, Then when IndyCar was purchased by Roger Penske, uh, it took a little while, but Eventually said, hey, we own that. We want it back. So they did take it back. Um, during the last five years, and I could be a little bit off on the exact timing, maybe six, seven years, whatever it is. The SCCA uh, decided they want to get wanted to get back into junior open wheel racing. And so that's where the Formula 4, right? The F4, which is a global formula. They started running that. The Formula Regional Americas, that's kind of F 3 F3-ish type scenario there. Um, That was their next step up. Honda being involved there, providing engines. They have said, well, we're going to offer some incentives, and that's great. But the F4 and FRA, those are unaffiliated with IndyCar, uh, run by now- Corella Motorsports Holding, who've taken them over uh, effectively from the SCCA. And, you know, they're good. There's nothing wrong with them whatsoever. They're just unaffiliated over here. Uh, I would say their numbers have definitely diminished a bit. Uh, When we had Indy Lights cancel its season in 2020 due to COVID, we did see a lot of interest headed more towards the FRA side. Uh, That was kind of the top fastest solution that a lot of folks could afford. So Linus Lundqvist is there and, you know, Ernie Francis Jr. was there last year. Uh, But need to keep coming back to the main point here, Bill. This compared to the Road to Indy rogue-ish type junior open wheel formulas. I can tell you uh IndyCar team owners aren't looking over there. They're not paying attention to it, etc, cetera, etc. Cetera. Um it's just not a place that they look to draws their attention uh nor admittedly do they really have a re have they really had a reason to need to look over there. Um, the one adjustment the Anderson promotion folks made was this Hey, Formula four, F four smallish slowish cars, right? But great kind of first step first introduction to wings and slicks. Uh definitely slower than USF 2000, but hey, budget-wise pretty affordable. It's something that for sure has pretty has had pretty good numbers. That's a place that a lot of parents say, "Hey, well, we're going to send our son or daughter there to start." their little open-wheel adventure. And admittedly, USF 2000, maybe a little bit too big of a jump for the liking of, of some coming straight out of carts. So what the Anderson Promotions folks said was, you know, we need to add another step. And we're going to do that with USF Juniors. Not Formula Junior, but USF Junior. And so that is their equivalent of F4. That is in a market place their attempt to neutralize F4, give folks no reason to go to this unaffiliated open wheel ladder um, that Tony Perella uh, is in charge of and say hey come here and play with us. And in its debut season, I have to say it sure looked like a success. And it looked like it did everything Dan was trying to do. Sadly somewhat to the detriment of the Pirelli Motorsports holdings, folks. So I hear you. This has been a complaint forever uh, about too many junior open-wheel categories, and it's confusing, and where do you go, and what do you do? The, the reality is there is a long-established, streamlined system, the road-to-indy system. You hop on that formula, uh, but they have... And it will work you all the way up to IndyCar. The first three steps of the ladder, owned and run by Anderson, USF Junior, USF 2000, and Indy Pro 2000, uh, they pay good money to help bump you up to the next level. As a champ, really serious, heavy financial advancement prizes. And now when you get to Indy Lights, which is run by Penske Entertainment, that is now actually the one issue you might find if you happen to be the champion as it is today. Uh, they're not going to give you very much to try and get to IndyCar. But uh, that's out of Dan Anderson and Michelle Kish's control uh, and something for IndyCar to hopefully realize they need to fix. But I hear you. Uh, I would just say that I don't pay any attention to F4 or FRA. And usually if there is a young talent that should be going to IndyCar, you'll find that they will move over from either one of those two categories and jump onto the road to Indy and follow the pipeline upward. All right, y'all. Ended up going a little longer than, uh, than expected here. Um, but, hey, appreciate you. We're talking about stuff, and there's more good stuff to come next week. Big thanks to Cooper Tires, the Justice Brothers, TorontoMotorsports.com, our cats, uh, Rocky is now sleeping next to me, my wife, and uh, how else should I say farewell, but...